we were singing, a thought came to me about how faithful God is, not just to us as individuals, but uh, to Crossway Church. Uh, church is 12 years old, and we have gone through a lot of, a lot of challenges. Uh, new pastors, uh, a place to meet, a time to meet, uh, and through it all, God has remained faithful. You've remained faithful, and you're here. And uh, you know, I just, I, just, I call me crazy. I think God's going to remain faithful. You know, I really do. And uh, we got, we we have more challenges ahead of us. Okay, but let's look at them as opportunities to see God's faithfulness to us. Karen was mentioning this morning something that I, I hadn't thought about in a long time. And that is, you know, we never hear testimonies in church anymore. I thought, you know, that's right, we don't. And you know, I think it'd be a good thing if uh, maybe we did. And uh, so I'm going to throw a challenge out to you this morning, okay? If you would be willing to share a testimony in church. It could be about your salvation. That's a good testimony. Or it could be about how God has shown himself faithful to you. Now, I'm not talking about taking over the preaching. All right? I'm talking three minutes max, written out, well prepared, well planned. And I'd be glad to help you with it uh, if you wanted to do that. You know, I think we need to hear more testimonies of God's faithfulness. Uh, because sometimes we think we're the only one going through a trial or tribulation. We're the only one that has any problems. Everybody else comes. How are you doing? Fine. Great. I wish I could say the same. You know. Let's, let's think about that, shall we? Okay. That was free. That's not part of my sermon. Okay. Go ahead. <coughs> Last week, we talked about interpreting the Bible. And we saw that one of the important points in being able to interpret the Bible correctly is that we have to look at the context. 80% of the Bible falls in the context of the law of Moses, or what we refer to as the Mosaic law. The question that believers have today is, what do we do with the law of Moses? Okay. Are we still under the law? Or are we under all of it? Or are we under part of it? And if we're under part of it, what part of it are we still under? And if we say we're not under law, <clears throat> then does that mean that we are free to sin all we want then? How we stand on this particular teaching in the Bible is going to profoundly affect how we live our Christian life. This is one of those basic fundamental teachings that we've got to put to bed, all right? We have to put it to rest so that we can go on and live our Christian life. It affects things like, should we observe the Sabbath day? Within walking distance, you can, of where I live anyway, you can find 
two churches that meet on Saturday because they believe they are keeping the law and observing the Sabbath. Should the law of Moses be the law of the land today as it was for Israel? Uh, why aren't we offering animal sacrifices today? And I'm not talking at dinner time, okay? Should a list of do's and don'ts define Christianity? Is that what we're all about? Some people would go so far to say that you either must believe you're still under the law of Moses or you are lawless. So today I want us to look at the Mosaic Law. And in its context, and I'm going to let you come to your conclusion. Okay, I've come to mine. I want you to come to your conclusion today. Well, what is the Law of Moses? Most people, when they think of the Law of Moses, think only of the Ten Commandments. That's the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses is found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then it's reiterated and added to in the book of Deuteronomy. And it includes these things, the Ten Commandments, first of all, moral laws, things like laws about murder, theft, honesty, adultery, social laws on property, inheritance, marriage, divorce, food laws, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what's clean, what's unclean, laws concerning cooking and, and storing of food. They had purity laws that involved things like what to do with skin diseases and mildew and leprosy. They had feast days, days like the Day of Atonement, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacle, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks. There were sacrifices, sacrifices and offerings. And boy, when you get to that, there's just a whole huge list of offerings. The sin offering, the burnt offering, the whole offering, the heave offering, the Passover offering, the meal offering, the wave offering, peace offering, drink offering, thanks offering, dough offering, incense offering, wet hat. Red heifers, scapegoat, first, I mean, it just goes on and on, the list of sacrifices that Israel had to do. It gave instructions for the priesthood. Things about taking care of the priest. That included tithing. Instructions regarding the tabernacle <clears throat> were later applied to the temple in Jerusalem when they built it. And, and it had all sorts of things concerning the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and where the table of showbread was put and, and all of that. In, within the law is a section on capital punishment. Now, traditional Jewish law says that there were four types of capital punishment that were allowed. Stoning, burning, strangling, and beheading. And they were for particular sins. So a particular sin had a particular capital punishment style that went with it. Here are some of the things that were under capital punishment. Adultery for a married woman and her lover. Not the man, just 
the woman. Interesting, isn't it? Bestiality, blasphemy, child sacrifice, false testimony in capital cases, false prophecy. By the way, the test of the prophet in the Bible is it had to be correct 100% of the time. Not 99.9. I, I read a website of a, of a person who claimed to be a, a prophet, and he said that he was right about 50% of the time. Well, if we were under the law, he should be stoned, okay? Because it had to be 100% of the time. Other things that qualified you for capital punishment, proselyzing and promoting other religions, male homosexual relationships, idolatry, actual or virtual. I'm not sure what virtual idolatry is, but that was listed. Incestuous relationships, insubordination to authority, lying about one's virginity, kidnapping, licentious behavior of a priest's daughter, murder, rape committed against a betrothed woman, striking, oh, listen, striking, cursing, or otherwise rebelling against parental authority. How many of us would be alive today? Sabbath breaking, touching Mount Sinai while God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, witchcraft, divination, necromancy, sorcery, these were all things under the law that Israel was required to punish with capital punishment. Put him to death. Now, here's a big point. It's a package deal. You cannot pick two items from column A and one item from column B. It's not like eating Chinese food, okay? It's a package deal. You eat all or nothing. The law of Moses was a stringent law of performances and ordinances designed to keep Israel in remembrance of God and their duty towards him. It's interesting to notice that the law of Moses is primarily negative. Of the Ten Commandments, eight of them are thou shalt not. Okay? Let's go to our Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16. Kind of a summary verse concerning the Mosaic law. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. Now, this law was given to the children of Israel, to the, to the nation of Israel, for their obedience as they were getting ready to go into the promised land. They'd gotten out of Egypt. They had wandered around for 40 years in the desert. They're now getting ready to go into the promised land. And God says, if you keep all of my commandments... I will bless you and I will bless the land that you're going into. So it has the promises of individual blessings and it has the promise of national blessings as well. 
Israel was to be God's nation and the children of Israel were to be God's people. Well, okay, that seems very straightforward, seems good, but why would anyone think that we're not under the law of Moses today? Well, it goes back really to a statement of Jesus to begin with, over in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, some people misread this verse. They look at the first part and it says, Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. That's not what he said. You got to read the rest of the verse. He says, I did not come to abolish it until its purpose is fulfilled, and I have come to fulfill the purpose. So Jesus is making the statement, I have come to do away with the law when I fully accomplish the, my purpose here. The book of Hebrews, this is going to sound dumb, was written primarily to the Hebrews. Duh. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's written to, to kind of explain to the Jews how Christ fulfilled the law, how he fulfilled the sacrifice, how he fulfilled the priesthood and about the law. And it, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It says here that the law was a shadow of good things to come. That good things to come was Jesus, who would fulfill the law. It says it's a shadow. Now, picture if you would. You're standing on a corner, and there's a building off here on the left, and you can't see around the corner. But the sun is shining so that you can see the shadow of someone coming before you actually see the person. And you're sitting there and you're or standing there and you're waiting for someone. And as you see shadows come, you say, Oh, I wonder if that's that. I wonder if that's him. And then finally a shadow comes, and it's the person you're waiting for. Now what do you do? Keep looking at shadows? No. You look at the person that you've been waiting for. You don't need the shadow anymore when the reality is come. In John chapter 1, verse 17, says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Uh, John is contrasting Moses and Christ. And he says something came by Moses and something came by Christ. The law came by Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Implying that Christ was something better than Moses. Well, 
why didn't Jesus say more then? If he came to fulfill the law to do away with the law, why didn't he say more about, okay, folks, you're not under law anymore. I'm here, you know, and let's do away with the law. Well, the reason that he couldn't say that is because during the earthly ministry of Jesus, they were still under the law. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, Jesus couldn't tell his followers they were free from the law because they weren't free from the law. Jesus lived under the law. His followers lived under the law during his earthly ministry. It wasn't until his death on the cross that he fulfilled all the law. Now, to get the details then, we can't really go to the gospel because Jesus is still under law. What we have to do is we, we have to go to the epistles because the epistles give us the so what and the why of what Jesus did on the cross. It's, I'm going to probably say this a half a dozen times uh, in the sermons to come, but uh, the Old Testament looks forward to Christ. The gospels shows us Christ. The epistles look back on Christ. Okay, so the, the epistles are going to explain for us. They're going to help us understand this uh, relationship with the law. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, we read, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Okay, two things here. Number one, the law is good. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the law of Moses was bad. God gave it. How can anything God give be bad? Okay? The law is good. But there's a warning there, isn't there? If it is used properly. If it's used properly. So, obvious question, what's the proper use then of the law? How are we supposed to look at it? Well, we need to understand its purpose. We need to understand its process. And we need to understand its limitations. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, says this, Before it was possible to be saved from the punishment of sin by putting our trust in Christ, we were held under the law, for it was as if we were being kept in prison. We were kept this way until Christ came. The law was used to lead us to Christ. It was our teacher. And so we were made right with God by putting our trust in Christ. Several significant things from this verse. Before it was possibly saved from the punishment of sin by putting our trust in Christ, Paul is writing, it says, we were held under the law. Now remember, Paul was a Jew. He was under the law. So he could say, we were, we were held under. Now notice that, that preposition under. Okay? We were not held up by the law, Paul says. Rather, we were held down. We were held under the law. It says we were kept that way until Christ came. Okay? There's a, there's a definitive line being drawn there. 
says, for the law was used to lead us to Christ. It was our teacher. So Paul, using his Jewish background, and remember he was a Pharisee and, and all of that, says that, that the law led to Christ. The law was a teacher. Now, some translations use the word here, um, schoolmaster. The law was our schoolmaster or our tutor or our guardian. The law was filled with all, all types and shadows, all of which pointed toward, towards Christ and his future atonement. In Galatians 3, 19, it says, Then why do we have the law? It was given because of sin. It was to be used until Christ came. The promise had been made looking toward Christ. The law was given by angels through Moses who stood between God and man. Now, it says it was given because of sin. Well, what does that mean? It was given because of sin. And in what way? What was the relationship there with sin? It says that the law was used to lead us to Christ. Um, it was given because of sin until Christ came. Uh, the, the promises have been made looking toward Christ. You see, the law is looking toward something. It's looking forward to something. And that something is Christ. But, but let's look at that, you know, given because of sin. In, in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, the, the apostle Paul talks about his own personal relationship with the law, growing up as a, as a Jewish youngster and then as an adult. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. Oh, okay. The law was given because of sin. What did it do? It showed us what sin was, you say. It showed, and then he goes on. says, I never would have known that coveting was wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Now, what's coveting? Well, coveting is wanting something that somebody else has, okay? A lot of people don't think that is a sin. They think there's nothing wrong with wanting. I mean, you know, got to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, you know, the neighbor's got a whatever, and so I got to have a whatever, you know, and oh, that's not sin. Well, Paul says the law told him that was sin. It pointed it out to him. That is the correct use of the law, a correct use of the law to point out, show us what sin is. But sin used this commandment to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. I think I told you this story before, but you've already forgotten, so I'll tell it again. When we were in Hawaii, um, we went through a museum. I like going through museums. They're a lot of fun. My family doesn't think so, but I enjoy museums. And uh, they, had a, they had an outrigger, an old Hawaiian outrigger in this museum. And I, I looked over at it. Okay, you know, all right, nice. I've seen outriggers, you know, big deal. But then a little sign caught my attention. And the sign said, do not touch. Guess what? 
I had no desire to touch that outrigger until I read that design, that sign. And then it's like, ooh, I want to go touch that. Now, I didn't. I don't know if Karen put a stranglehold on me or what, but uh, yeah, I didn't go touch. That's what laws tend to do. Laws tend to create, because of our sinful nature or something, I don't know, but it produces the desire for us to want to do the very thing that we're not supposed to do. If you don't believe me, tell a child not to do something. Paul goes on and says, at one time I lived without understanding the law, but I, when I learned that the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died, so I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. We're going to see later on that the law of Moses is called the law of sin and death. Paul brings that out here, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. Again, Paul is walking this tightrope. And on one side, he's saying, you know, the, the law is, is good. It tells us of the holiness of God, and, and it tells us what sin is. And on the other hand, he said, but that's not enough. And it had to have a termination date put on it. The law brought us the knowledge of sin. Last week, we talked about absolutes, Okay. Because this is the word of God, it's inspired two weeks ago, we have absolutes, okay? In doing so, though, the weakness of the law is this. It never gave us power over those sins. It could only point them out. The side effect is it also produced a desire in us to sin. So the law existed to reveal the depths of humanity's sin so that we might need a Savior. You know, in, in witnessing to our unsaved friends, sometimes we think of it in terms of, what can I do or say to get them saved? But you know, there's a step before that you got to get them lost. A lot of people think they're good enough. I'm good enough. I get enough good things. I'll get to heaven. Okay. A lot of people need to understand what God's view of them is. And the law shows us that which is good and that which is evil. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and then verse 16, Paul says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. That's just another way of saying the Mosaic law. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The law was nailed to the cross of Christ. It died on the cross with him. Verse 16 Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink 
or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon, a celebration, or a Sabbath day. The law was nailed to the cross. It died. Therefore, here's the practical application. Don't let anyone judge you now according to the law. And then he lists specific areas, what you eat or drink, religious festivals, new moons, or a Sabbath day. Let's check on that one for a little bit. No more Sabbath. I've heard Christians refer to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. No, it's not. There are no Sabbath days anymore. If you look at what you were supposed to do on the Sabbath day and the penalty for not keeping the Sabbath day, we're in deep trouble, okay? No more Sabbath days. No more food restrictions. I liked that one as well. You know, under the law, you couldn't eat shrimp. You couldn't eat lobster. You couldn't eat some shellfish. You know, you couldn't eat pork chops. I'm not sure where mutton comes in there. No, they could probably eat that. There's a lot of sheep back then. So if there's no more law, are we now lawless? Are we free to sin all we want. Well, that is not a question that has just come up recently. The Apostle Paul had that very accusation thrown in his face almost 2,000 years ago. So in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, Paul says this, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. We're not under the law, we're under grace. And under grace, we cannot offer any part of our body to sin. In the books of Romans and Galatians, the Apostle Paul contrasts two spheres, if you would. One is the sphere of the law, and the other is the sphere of grace. They are mutually exclusive spheres, but they do the same thing. They accomplish the same thing. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There it is. Mosaic law, the law of sin and death, we're free from it. But now we have the law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit is the law of Christ. And in Galatians 5.18, it says, If you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. He's talking about the Mosaic law. Believers today are to be led by the Spirit. What keeps us from going out and sinning? The Holy Spirit living within us. The benefits of living a life of being led by the Spirit 
are so great, so fantastic, so superior, that no Christian who understands it should ever, ever want to be back under the law of Moses again. Because they would sacrifice so much. Let me give you some contrasts here. Number one, the Mosaic law focused on outward behavior. Grace focuses on inward change that results in outward behavior. There's a big difference there. The law of Moses could not give people the yearning to obey God. Grace gives us the desire to live for God. The law of Moses told people what they couldn't do. Grace gives people the inner power to do what God wants them to do. The law of Moses had no divine dynamic to it. Grace empowers us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we get to the series on understanding spiritual growth, and remember this, I'm doing three series here. Number one, understanding the Bible. Number two, understanding the church. And number three, understanding spiritual life. When we get to that series, we're going to see there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new law in town. And it goes by several names. It goes by the law of Christ. It goes by the law of the Spirit. It's called the royal law. We are not lawless, but we're no longer under the law of sin and death. And folks, that should cause us to shout hallelujah. That should cause us to go amen, thank you, Lord. We have so much better today because we have the Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit to interpret it for us. And so Christianity is not a billboard on the side of the street with the Ten Commandments on it saying, wouldn't you like to be a Christian and you cannot do all of these things? Oh, no, Christianity is saying we have so much in Christ Jesus today that oh, we would never want to give it up. We would never want to go back under the old system. We have a wonderful gift of God's grace today. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment to talk to God. Again, no one out loud. Just you talking. Maybe this is a new concept for you. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, help me understand this better. Uh, you know, it's a little sketchy. Maybe it's completely contrary to what you've been taught, what you thought, what you, what you understood. And maybe the prayer is, help me be a good Berean and receive this with readiness of heart and go home and study it out. Or maybe it's just a prayer of hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for what we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we're free from the law of sin and death, and we're under a new law, the law of Christ, a law that gives us the power over sin, not just the command not to. Whatever it is, you talk to God, no one out loud, but you just pray in a moment, I'll close in prayer.
Thank you, Lord, for the good and better things that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the tutoring that the law gives. It does point out, black and white, these are sins. But then, Father, thank you that we can go on from there in the power of your spirit and live above sin. Thank you for your grace, which is sufficient for our sin. It's greater than our need. Father, thank you that we can worship you today. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord. Christ Jesus' name, amen.